What's up and welcome to Sweathead with my Pollard. It is 12 o'clock, 12 p.m. on the dot, daytime p.m. on the dot on December 31, 2021. That's right, it's the last day of 2021. What a year. What a couple of years. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I've got about 15 questions that I'm going to get into today. Everything from what it's like or what a lone creative strategist on a team could do to try to succeed through to channeling despair into creativity, hobby ideas for strategists that make you better at strategy and so on and so forth. People ask these questions through Instagram every now and then I drop a prompt. You can find me over there at Mark Hollard and also Sweathead is pumping out some solid social media content on Instagram at Sweathead. So jump over to those two spots if you would like to have more strategy information in front of you through a feed. Uh, it's quite weird seeing people out. It's warmer than normal. I never know how to dress in New York. I put on three layers today and I was proud of myself because one of those, two of those are actually those like thermal things. <clears throat> Ten years into New York, I still don't know how to do it. I think I overdressed. I think I overdressed. But people are out. There's music playing. That's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what to update everybody on necessarily. Although we did launch the new Sweathead website, super complicated and stressful. Check out the memberships there, uh, Sweathead.com, and we've also gently announced the next uh, Sweathead Strategy Accelerator, which will kick off on March 1, 2022. It's a seven-week program. We're looking at this stage to do two times of day for the live training because there's live training every week plus. Uh, online videos and assignments with assignment feedback, possibly group work. It's hard to work out how to get the group work to work with strategists because everyone's uh, already incredibly busy. And touch wood, there's a chance that we will do uh, a live event as well as part of that. So again, you can jump over to sweathead.com to find out more about that. Looking, thinking about ways to sort of reinvent the podcast in 2022. Um, you know, and if you're if you're a producer and you're curious about being involved, definitely feel free to DM me on Instagram. I'm still trying to work out the uh, the business structure, the business model with people I'm working with right now. And big shout out to all of those people who've helped this year. Well, let's get into the questions. Let's get into the questions. So I love this first one, Amanda Kleinberg. Um, and if you didn't write a non, I am going to answer or I'm going to read out your name with your question or prompt. Uh, and when I ask for these prompts on Instagram it's not like ask me anything because I know everything it's just these prompts give me things to think through and uh, I guess I'm addicted to thinking there you go so Amanda asks how to channel despair into creativity I'm going to assume that's not about channeling despair into creativity while you're on the job working on soap but you could definitely do that um, I, I don't know I think it's sort of straightforward in that you Pay attention to it and then try to bottle it. For me, that would be in words. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, I was doing some sessions on confidence and talking to some people, reflecting about some personal stuff as well, as we are want to do. And I had this thought about how, you know, sometimes I think people who, I'll have to generalize this, but sometimes people who struggle with confidence or low self-worth, sometimes it's having grown up not knowing if they're wanted in the next room. That seems like a sad thought, but it led me to this idea. It's like, yeah, you could create a book. It's called In the Next Room, 12 chapters, and it's about someone's life or a group of people's lives. Um, 
through 12 chapters that all happen in 12 separate rooms. Right? So that's all. It's just trying to take, it's just trying to notice the feeling. For me, I have to find the words for the feeling or, you know, some kind of provocation, some reason for it, even if I'm making it up or being highly subjective. And then turning it into some kind of idea structure, some, some concept. So there you go. Uh, Sanya Beatty, I've lost my eyesight during the pandemic. I definitely can't see like I could at the start of the pandemic. So it's quite funny, actually. I used to be able to just read stuff off my phone really easily. All right. Sanya Beatty, hobby ideas for strategists that make you better at strategy and charge your creativity. Anything, anything. I mean, you can break down some of the main things that we all do into very simple language and then work out ways to do them. So observing people. You know, you could go to a park. I used to hang around the Sydney city quite a lot and just watch people. That wasn't to practice being a strategist. It's just because I'm uh, strange. But I always used to love watching people, uh, especially all the tourists. Stand-up comedy is a way to observe someone else who's observed people or maybe who's observed themselves. And it's, it's one thing to watch. It's another to actively think through what's happening and the structures and the techniques that someone's using. Uh, so you've got observing people. You might have joining dots forgive the cliche joining dots so you could you could be on a bus look around you and try to combine two things that don't usually belong together into a new product idea that's essentially practice right i do think it is good to have a, a writing practice I'm, I'm in and out of it i don't journal all the time i'll have a phase for a week or two and then i'll disappear from it for a year but i do usually have some writing going on and, and i think that helps me keep tethered to my own mind a little bit better and uh, also usually leads to ideas and also what I'm doing now walking anytime I walk uh, I'll get ideas yoga things like that so I just think you know really is the main point there is to not get too fancy with perfect uh, hobbies that could complement your strategy career because everything's material you know any room you walk into any place you visit, any conversation is potential fodder if you're actively minded. Uh, okay, the sorry, I don't have all the names here, I just have the Instagram handles. Katherkmin, how can strategy be used for startup companies who are figuring out their companies? I think it's a good question because I think a lot of strategists who are working in larger places who feel that the work's going too slowly or that they're in a more conservative environment, they often are like, oh, I want to work with a startup. And it's not always easy because startups aren't often ready for the kind of thinking that a lot of us would do. Thinking that might require a little bit of research, not that it has to be slow and not useful, but the startup, a small startup is usually, or has usually started up because there's a person or two who are really trying to crank something from nothing. And so there's definitely a risk, and I've heard it quite often actually, where a strategist will go in a little bit too early and can't actually help because the startup just needs to execute, execute, execute. They're focused on bringing in revenue so that they can potentially get more investment. And then you might have some personalities at the top who sort of see themselves as the author of the brand, whether or not they're mm, literate in brand, branding, advertising. So those things can make it quite difficult. But otherwise, strategy can be used in startup in the same ways <laughs> that it can be used anyway, because at its broadest, strategy is an informed opinion about how to think. You do some research, you establish a problem that you're trying to solve, the brand, if we're talking about strategy to do with brand, and then you devise ways that you can help solve it, put things into the world, and, and see how they go. 
Okay, Anon, tips for carving out time to quote-unquote sharpen the saw when work and family eat up your day. Yeah, this is really hard. Uh, obviously in the past five-ish years, five and a half years, I've really decided to build a life around the things that I like to do that help me sharpen the saw. So what I'm doing now, um, interviewing, podcasting, writing, these are things that are now my life and they weren't five and a half years ago. When we had a couple of babies and I was in my 20s, it was hard, it was really hard because something that people don't talk about that much is, you know, if you've got one, if one of the parents is staying home for a period of time, they're probably exhausted. The person working might be exhausted as well because they're not necessarily sleeping well. And in advertising, they could be working, you know, 60 hours a week pitching. And then they come home and they need to contribute and take over some of the household chores and then there's so many there's so many opportunities for conflict almost every decision in a young family can lead to some kind of conflict I don't think that's being dramatic uh, I remember around that time which is when I started to I guess blog or write about the industry so we're going back 15 14 15 years um, first of all I had more energy <laughs> and second I had a bit of a panic I often use panics and crises to scare myself into doing stuff and the crisis back then was which was not 15 years ago I guess it was 13 years ago was um, what Australians refer to as the global financial crisis the GFC where all the banks went down well you know what I mean and you'd visit uh, client offices and uh, you'd see half the office empty, emptied over a period of a week or two. And like, oh god, I got to stay active. I got to do some stuff. So that really, that that sort of panic, spurred me into um, writing. And then, I wouldn't say that I turned it into a habit. I'm not very good at root, like things that look structured and habitual in a formal way, which is to say that we all have habits. It's just that. You know, I've always struggled with do five things a week at 7 a.m. or whatever. But I just got into a habit and then maybe even a craving to publish at least once or twice a week. I would give myself uh, constraints of an hour or so. And so often I would sit down at 10 p.m. or if I had a lunch with an hour, which was not common, I'd sit down and go, okay, what's on your mind? Write it, publish it, boom, you're done. And so every family, every situation is different. But, um, that's that's kind of how I did it and then you know if you are commuting finding out or working out ways that you can at least uh, read or uh, digest material that you can play with but it, it's really the practicing of the material the analyzing of the material breaking it down seeing the structures so for example like I said earlier you could watch stand-up comedy great you might get a joke or two or hear an insight or two but maybe what you want to do is actually write it down and then play with the material and work out what, what the insight of that particular joke was. How did they set it up? How did they resolve it? What was the punchline? So I don't know how practical those tips are. I, th I think it's, it's, it's hard because we do have phases in our life that just get, just get overwhelmed, especially if you're doing long hours. And so I think it is important to not beat yourself up too much. Uh, I needed to latch on to a bigger sense of meaning, right? Which was a sense of existential dread. Like, what if this whole industry goes down right now and I've got two kids to feed? Uh, so that was the thing that I held on to. You could call it purpose. Meaning, I don't know, that was the meaning that I kind of held on to. Sense of panic. And then just the desire to do one or two things a week. And that kept me going more weeks than not.
Tom Donald, Becoming Mutton, is mindfulness and detachment actually the most important skill for a long run in advertising design land? I think this is such a tricky question. It's such a tricky question. Uh, I've had phases where I've been really good with meditation and yoga, maybe six, seven years ago, and it felt great. It felt great. I know I've told this story before, but I, I did a talk over at Cannes for Big Spaceship, and I wasn't drinking, and I have to point that out because <laughs> most people over at Cannes <laughs> um, are definitely drinking. Um, and, you know, I was doing yoga in the steam room before my talk, and I meditated before my talk, and it felt great. It did feel really good. And I actually came back to New York, and walking through Midtown a day or two after I arrived back, I felt really overwhelmed, just the senses. I was like, this is not natural. This is not natural. Um, and at the same time, that kind of manic craziness that some of us experience a little bit, Forgive me if words like manic and crazy are, uh, I don't know, heavy words for you. And, you know, when you use those words, use them really specifically. But uh, sometimes I think we need a little bit of that to do our work. And so I, it's hard. I, I see people who are a little bit zen. But if you're super zen, then you don't care about your ideas. So do you push your ideas? It's, it's, I don't really have a good answer to that. I think it's useful in life. You've still got to work out how to be somewhat of a fighter and how to channel your uh, your neural looseness, <laughs> as in your uh, nature to bounce between things a little bit. Wish I had a better answer to that. All right, Lexi Perez, how to navigate being the only creative strategist on the brand side? Any suggestions? It's hard because it, that is a broad question. It depends if, uh, I think there's at least two ways to start looking at this. One is, are you there just to contribute, just to get work done? And if so, will you be protected? Will you be understood? Do people want you there? Uh, will people know whether you're contributing? And how judgmental is the company about your KPIs, whatever they might be? Okay, that's you as an individual. The second is organizational change. Are you in there to drive organizational change? I think... People might not want me to say this. I think that is way harder than we often assume. It's very difficult to drop a strategist into uh, an organization that hasn't worked with them before and just assume that that person's gonna change stuff without structural change, process change, hierarchical change, advocacy from the top, uh, a sense of power. And that's something that's, I think, really interesting to think about. I think a lot of people who think, probably think they can think their way through a lot of stuff, even if their thinking hurts themselves at time. And a lot of the people I know struggle with the concept of power. So when you move into these roles, into new companies, or change countries, or cities, how much power do you think you're gonna need how much power are you going to have to seek? How much power will come to you naturally in order for you to do your job? So it's a really hard question. I, I think in the first year or so, it's unless you're, you've been charged with developing a new team, then the job's really, you could probably keep the job really, really simple. 
and actually just try to deliver good work, make sure it gets seen by the people in power, and gentle organisational change. You know, maybe a training session every month or two, but not too hard because what I don't know from your question is, are you taking people's favourite bits of their job? And that's a challenge that happens when strategists who've worked in ad agencies have moved into PR agencies. That the PR person has been used to being the account manager, the project manager often, the copywriter, the creative, the presenter of the work, and the strategist. And so when PR companies bring in new people, then the some PR people are like, hang on, that's what I like to do. That's literally what I do. Are you now saying that I can't do it? And are you saying I can't do it because I'm not good at it? And have, have I been not good at it all this time and you just didn't tell me? So I think I'd need a little bit more information to say anything more useful, but good luck. I am Siv. What differentiates a strategy from tactics? Yeah, it's these words, there's sort of relativism and you need examples, but there's a, a vagueness to the definitions of them, right? So for me, I would say, well, strategy is an informed opinion about how to win. Informed opinion about how to win. Tactics are the groups of activities or activities, okay, to separate groups of activities or activities that make the strategy happen. So let's try to make this practical. I don't know what will come out. Uh, let's say that you feel a bit frozen right now, spiritually frozen. I was going to say spiritually constipated, but that would be mixing metaphors for no benefit. Let's say you feel spiritually frozen right now. And your strategy is no more complicated than the word move. I've got to move. I've got to move. Then you might have some tactics. You know, but that'll depend on what you want to do. Let's say you like to go for long walks around Central Park. Tactic one, two long walks around Central Park a week. Tactic two, to try to go to bed one hour earlier than normal so that you can get up early and, I don't know, do 10 push-ups. Tactic three, dot, 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 right? So there's a level of specificity at the tactic level where you could probably have very smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, etc. Smart. Uh, where the strategy itself might seem kind of esoteric. Now, the esoteric nature of most, or of a lot of the sort of the ideas in our strategy, I, th I think can be problematic because it can lead to, if you're working with other people, it can lead to other people wondering what the hell you're talking about, and it can allow the strategist to be esoteric and to stay esoteric. But if you talk very simply, your, your problem is that you feel frozen, your strategy is to move, tactic one, walk. Two laps of Central Park a week. T tactic two, stretch. Five minutes a day. Right? So you're creating this little operating system. I hope that helps. Something Sonia did. Going beyond creative, media, digital, social, etc. What's the future of strategy in advertising? These questions are always really, really hard because what I tend to do is push off the question and go back to first principles so that I would say that strategy is an informed opinion about how to win again. And that as the world changes, as media changes, the job of the strategist is to work out how to win through the different media, 
or however you see the role of strategy, you did talk about strategy in advertising. So for me, it's really been uh, just a matter of focusing less on the technology and, and always focusing on people and what, and what they're doing with the technology, but more importantly, the humanity in, in why they're doing it, the psychology of, of why they might be doing it. And that'll stay the same. It'll just happen in different ways. C.C. Johnson, this is a good, good question. I was talking about this theme recently. If you could go back and do it all over again, would you do anything differently? If so, why? I gotta say, so the thing I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago is how often you hear people say, oh no, I'd never go back and change anything. And I'm like, oh, is it because it got you here or because you'd have to admit you never made mistakes or because you really like where you are right now and wouldn't want to change anything and risk being somewhere else? But I don't know, wouldn't we all go back and do something differently? Surely. This one's a little bit, so this is directed at me, right? Uh, I think, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, what would you do differently? So I think about themes related to the question a lot, and I'm nervous about what I'm going to say. That's not to say I live in the past, although I guess uh, my brain does like to mine it quite a lot for book ideas that I'll never write, no, that I might write. Yeah, like, I think... One of the things I've always had to reconcile is the fact that I'm a bit of an outsider men mentally. Okay, I don't, and I'm a white guy. Okay, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. But just grew up in a way that was a bit different and a bit away from people. Uh, spent a lot of time by myself on public transport, moving between homes, etc. Never really felt at place in places. Um, and who's to say why? You know, I have my reasons or th thoughts but who's to say why and so I always struggled with being an employee and the thing is from my late teens to my well mid to late 20s I was doing my own stuff as well as doing some freelance work and then some full-time work and I was publishing a magazine writing uh, columns for the local street press music columns you get like $30 Australian back then for a column and $45 for an article and I used to syndicate them, so I'd sell them to a couple of different places, definitely in Sydney and then you know, in Melbourne and every now and then around the world. But you're not making a lot of money doing that. did community radio for five years. You're not getting paid for that. I would put on events if I could earn, I don't know, three to $400 from an event, Australian. That was okay, but we lived pretty simply. And so I, I don't know what I would do differently. I, you kind of ran out of steam on that, and I listened to other people that... You know, I hit 25. 25 was a bit of a turning point for me, so I stopped doing martial arts. We got a mortgage, we bought a small apartment, which is good. Uh, a few years later we had kids, but I, I don't know. I probably needed, I wanted and I needed a little bit more of a, I don't know, some people to rely on, or people who could sort of help point me in, in, in a, a direction where I could maintain my own independence. But 15 or so years later, that's what I'm doing. I had to return to it because I feel I make more sense doing it. So that's something, just 
you know, the question is employee versus independent, which is not to say one or the other is better, it's just I feel I'm better suited for one. Uh, and then, you know, there's this trick that any therapist will play with you as you get older, at your 30s and 40s, where you'll talk about your life, the things you're trying to work through, and I'll probably say something like, so the coping mechanisms that help you cope growing up or early relationships now no longer serve you <laughs> that kind of stuff right and seeing some of those patterns earlier would have been really really useful um, I think yeah what can I what can I actually say about that I think because I'm prone to overthinking and, and prone to a little bit of the, the mood the melancholy uh, which I've always also connected to creativity and writing and doing things. I mean, I wrote my first sad poem when I was about 12, just after one of my friend's younger brothers passed away. I still remember the sadness in the poem, and I use this word magnanimous. It was probably the biggest word I'd ever used. And just, I miss this kid. He was the closest family friends. I spent so much time with him growing up. Uh, Hang on, what's my point? I got lost in thinking about my friends. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, I think because of the sort of the moodiness that I didn't always trust my own decisions and so allowed other people to make decisions for me. So it's something I think about doing differently in many ways. Even though I had a lot of freedom and, and, um, and sort of yeah, would do things and we felt supported to a degree. Yeah, I messed up that one. That that needs I need to sit down and write it through to actually say something coherent, and that doesn't sound, you know, judgmental or whatever. But the point is that realizing some of your coping mechanisms when you're young and how you might be duplicating certain relationships in your life based on relationships you grew up around, uh, that sort of clarity is useful. Yikes, uh, Mr. Rinali asks, why do creatives dislike planners? I think there's a few reasons for that. One is that creativity and narcissism correlate and so I think for a lot of quote-unquote creatives they feel that the planner is trying to be creative but is ultimately not creative. That's one. Two, some of this the dislike that we feel is, is probably a bit of projection where they're just frustrated with themselves trying to get somewhere and it comes out in contempt or mood you know, they're struggling with a brief or they haven't got a good piece of work in their portfolio, which means it's harder to get that new job or the promotion or to go to Cannes so they can collect their award. Then if they're stewing on this, and especially if they're a bit older and things aren't going easily for them at home, then they might carry a sense of dislike. The third is that a lot of planners or strategists aren't that useful. And you could be useful on one brief and then not useful on the next. The only point of strategy or account planning and advertising is for the work to be more effective. And sometimes the strategist gets in the way of that. I think we're at four. Four is kind of connected to that one. The most common phrase I, I've heard. And I've never, like, I've, I've taken over teams and some of the most senior people will come up to me and go, oh yeah, that person can't land the plane. 
I really don't like it. It's such a nasty thing to say about someone, especially to the person who's managing them now or who's sort of taken over the team. But there can be a sense that strategists can't land the plane. But that's also a big misunderstanding about strategy and how most of the work is the work of confusion and every now and then something clear pops out. But the bulk of it is going to look confusing and it's going to look like a plane in the clouds not knowing where it's going. Although planes and clouds do know where they're going. So I think there are four, four reasons. Some of it's about the planner, some of it's about the creative and what's going on in their heads. And ultimately the point is, okay, how can we be useful? Maybe connected to that is five, if we step in with really dogmatic ways of doing strategy and account planning, especially with people who either are not familiar with it, don't know what an insight is, who don't know what account planning is, or who think that they're the strategist as well as the quote-unquote creative then again you're taking away somebody's sense of self but also part of their job so and there are various smaller agencies around the place where the person who set it up might have been a creative director and then they bring in strategy teams but the creative director is the one who's always done the strategy and that can make it hard for the strategist to actually get any elbow room to do their work so there you go there's at least five different dynamics going on there a few more to go Hail it. Hey, Haley. Uh, what place does bad strategy have in good strategy? Connected to what I just said before. Uh, bad strategy is fine if it gets you to something that's good, but then what is bad and good? Because we're really talking about whether a strategy is useful and usable by a creative team, if you're working with a creative team, and then whether it leads to work that's effective. So if bad strategy does that, which it can, sometimes a crap brief could trigger something in the creative team. I am assuming there are creative teams involved with many of these questions. The creative team might say, that's such a bad brief and here's why, boom, and they get a great idea. Then the bad strategy has led to a great idea and by great, it's made, it's put out into public and it's effective. Not great because it looks good on paper. It's the same with writing. You know, your first draft, it's not even worth considering whether it's good or bad. It's whether it's out or not out, <laughs> out, on, out on paper or not out on paper, and then you go to work. Just down at the southern end of Central Park, quite a lot of people, must be some big New Year's Eve events happening. I haven't really, I can't remember doing anything, I've been here for 10 years, we don't really do anything for New Year's Eve. It's usually way colder than this. And most of the people that we've known who are near us tend to, have, have tended to leave New York as well. I'm in the Upper West Side. I keep wanting to live closer to <laughs> the industry, which is not usually around the Upper West Side. Um, okay, this is a big question. Copywriter Piyosh. How we freelancers and business owners alike can take advantage of the changing online environment? Uh, yeah, that's kind of like asking how can we succeed or how can I succeed. It's hard to answer that. I mean, the first principles of it all are going to be to build a reputation, to build a network, to have good work so that you can keep building that network, keep building that reputation that attracts more of the work that you want to do. Work out your pricing. Do some research. See how much your competitors charge for things. Think about whether you want to charge by the hour for deliverables or for effectiveness, which is super hard to charge for. It sounds cool in, a, in an interview, yeah, but it's very hard. 
And so if, if anything right now, it's never been easier to build a brand for a business or a person. I think one thing that is a little difficult is the pandemic has sort of shook the world up in a way that it made everyone rush to doing Instagram lives and there's so many podcasts now. But if you can focus on a couple of the channels that are growing the most, that are not throttled, because they will get throttled, uh, and potentially build up your audience there, and you've got to see this over a three to five year period, then in three to five years, it could be in a really, really solid place. Maybe sooner, but also maybe not. There you go. <laughs> Eric L. Hugh, what happened at work this year that made you steadfast in your hope and resolve? Steadfast. I don't know if I'd use that word to describe me. I'm a bit bouncy. I bounce. Uh, the thing that has always recentered me, if I can soften the word, is uh, talking to, doing live sessions with strategists. It's, it's, I, I feel them. I appreciate when people turn up to them. I usually announce them through the email newsletter. Uh, we'll be doing a ton on the Sweathead website. And sorry, I didn't mean to turn my answer into like an, an ad. But whenever I get a little bit lost, then it's, there's, there's often a DM or a conversation or a training session or maybe I've done some consulting with a company. And I don't mean this in any narcissistic way, but I'm like, these are my people, you know, and they're thinkers, they're feelers. I don't relate to the entire strategy or account planning world, you know, like I'm more with the people who are pr prone to a bouncy brain and to feelings than the people who are just talking about marketing sciences, which is no disrespect to them. I have friends who do that. It's just, it's a different kind of brain. I seriously believe it's a different kind of brain. You know, that's, that's the brain that's more prone to structure, uh, less neurotic, so to speak. Whereas my people are a little bit, a little bit sensitive and um, doing things for them, with them, it, it always recenters me. So that's how I. That's how I. Uh, yeah, get back on track. This is just remember who I'm doing it for. Now again, I don't think this is narcissistic, but there's a bit of me in that. Obviously, you know, try to f fix the problems that you face yourself. A lot of us do that. I think you're doing that as well, Eric, with uh, some of the events that you're organising. But that's it and then every now and then I hear great stories of someone getting a promotion or they got their first strategy job or they got their first strategy job and it's the first strategy job in that company and they've taken courses, classes, listened to the podcast. I love that stuff. Um, because you often start, well, a lot of the stuff that I talk about, you, you, I have often wondered if it was just me because I'm odd and by putting it out into the world for the past 13, 15 years, but especially the past five. And the podcast, we're nearly at the fourth year, by the way, just nearly finishing the fourth year. And people are like, oh, I thought it was just me. Or uh, the book that I wrote, someone said, it's the first time I've seen myself in a book. That's the stuff that, that's like my deathbed test right there. Just trying to be um, helpful to p people who are like that. All right. Gab's the gopher. How do I navigate pandemic-related convos at work, knowing I'm on the other side? Well, that's vague. What do you mean? Is this about masks? Not masks. That you're on the other side of the world, other side of the universe, other side of the bed. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, maybe the answer is there are some things you can have opinions about that you don't need to express to other people all the time. Maybe it's no more complicated than that.
Gabs the Gopher also asks, how does one explain to others the occupation thinking for a living? Yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's not really an occupation. I mean, it's what, it's what we do, right? But the occupation would be, if you're a strategist, you'd be a strategist or an account planner. And so, you know, the challenge is a lot of us really enjoy the work and might even enjoy parts of advertising, even while being skeptical of it. And when, and when you're talking with people, they don't, they don't often want to hear about advertising <laughs> these days, I find. There's always these surveys coming out about how people who work in advertising are some of the least trusted in the world, which is, I get it, I get it. I don't think most of us would want to feel that way or feel that way about each other, though. That's, you know, I don't think we're charlatans, snake oil people, especially the ones doing the thinking, which is... Also, we've got to be careful with that as well, because like everyone's doing the thinking. Don't glamorize, glamorize what we do. But maybe you can say that account plan, account planning helps advertising become more effective or be more effective, or that you you know try to understand people so that brands can advertise to them. See, that just sounds weird, doesn't it? Oh. All right, a few more. Tracy Wan, what are ways of reframing the need to have the quote unquote? right answer oh you write a non but look that's not a that's not like a, a scary question so what are ways of reframing the need to have the right answer well I, I just what i say right and wrong doesn't matter it, and there are definitions of right there's right as in factual correct knowable before it's happened and then there's right as in it seems that we could base it on fact and evidence but it just feels right the two separate definitions of the word right I just try to push off the word right and wrong, good and bad, as, as much as possible. And words like should, they'll come out every now and then. Now, as far as reframing, it depends what you mean by that. I think if you're reframing it to yourself, the reframe would be to use some of the words I used earlier. Is this useful and usable? And my job here is to help to make the advertising more effective Is that likely with the work that we've done? Strategy is an informed opinion about how to win. Do I have information and a strong opinion, a strong point of view here? Uh, and then also that to know that there's no right or wrong, that you're not doing a test. You know, it's not a multiple choice exam. So some of those words might help. And I think that's it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for the questions. I really appreciate it. Um, Check us out on Instagram, at Mark Pollard. Check out the website, sweathead.com. Lots of stuff happening in 2022. I'm literally losing sleep over all the stuff that we've got happening in the next six months, and I hope that people get to enjoy it and appreciate it. I have these stress dreams. And here's, here's one of my coping mechanisms. I've mentioned this one before. If I wake up and I'm like thinking about like 50 tasks that we've got to do in the next month or so, I just, I've just been saying the word love to myself lately. Love, 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 love. And then I sort of go back to sleep, but definitely feeling the, uh, the anxiety. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Sweater today. Peace. If you spend your days trying to get into people's heads, but are interested in strategy classes, books, and events that get into your head, visit sweathead.com. You can pick up the Kickstarter-funded book, Strategy Is Your Words, by me. Find out about our monthly membership, online classes, and the company training that we do. Yes, this was an ad, a gentle, gentle ad. Back to the interview.